Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Emerson on Parashat Vayigash. Did you know that Pardes from Jerusalem is now on Spotify? Be sure to follow us there for the weekly Parsha podcast, where you can find out more by visiting elmod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Michael Emerson. So last week, on the fifth night of Hanukkah, I'm with my family. We ventured out into the old city of Jerusalem, my wife, my three daughters, ages eight, five, and two. And our goal had been to visit the old city and wander the twists and turns of the various alleyways that make up the Rova, the Jewish quarter. Our ultimate goal was to count the Hanukkah we could find. Our girls get very excited about this. And we had done this once previously a year ago. And despite having to fight through hordes of tourists, we were able to count about 243 Hanukkah, pretty respectable. While it was a bit less crowded this year, since the lack of tourists, pandemic and all, we still had to maneuver through crowds of visitors, narrow alleys, slippery Jerusalem stone roads, random stairs, all the while trying to keep an eye on our young girls so they didn't wander too far afield. Now I'm sitting there trying to navigate our stroll around a yet, yet another crowded alleyway and up a small set of stairs that, for some odd reason, is right in the middle of this alley. And I find myself growing more and more frustrated. Why did we decide to visit the old city on Hanukkah and sit in traffic for 45 minutes? Why did we bring the stroller with us? Why did we let our eight-year-old and our five-year-old decide our route? Don't they know how to plot a more efficient path through all these alleys to make sure we cover each and every one? Why won't the two-year-old stay in the stroller like we asked her to to make it easier to move around more quickly? And then all of a sudden, I took a deep breath. I stopped for a moment in front of a beautiful display of Hanukkiot, and I had a moment of clarity. Here I was in one of the most majestic, significant, and sacred locations to the Jewish people with my wife and my three daughters who just a year and a half before we had made Aliyah and now we were creating new moments in our relationship with Eretz Yisrael and spending time together on this quest to illuminate our Hanukkah and feel the excitement and power of participating in this communal mitzvah together with thousands of other families. How lucky was I? And with that, suddenly the frustrations began to just melt away, and I saw our experience that night in a new light. That night was about letting even my two-year-old wander a bit and get caught up in the joy and thrill of finding a new secret area to explore, and our girls shattering their old record with over 520 Hanukkiot counted, and ultimately of seeing the beauty of the candlelight in the streets of the city where the holiday was first established. Now, Why am I sharing this anecdote with you today? This is not the first time that I've had moments that at first glance seem frustrating or ill-conceived. And then with some amount of internal mental shifting, I was able to come to a new conclusion and realize that I actually had the freedom to choose my attitude and my reaction and the way that I would handle a given situation. This is a psychological technique from cognitive behavioral therapy known as reframing in which the same situation viewed through a new lens can actually be seen differently and appreciated in a totally new way. When I study Parshat Vayigash, there are a lot of moments that are particularly ripe for analysis and discussion. Many of our commentators focus their attention on Yehuda's speech right at the beginning, this passionate speech in which he begs and pleads with the Egyptian ruler 
Yosef in disguise, not to take Benjamin away from the brothers. Yehuda and the brothers demonstrate true remorse for what they had done to their brother Yosef years earlier. And by showing this willingness to sacrifice for the sake of Benjamin, they showed that they were willing not to commit the same mistake a second time and not to cause their father additional pain and heartbreak. With this speech, Yosef finds he's no longer able to hold himself back. He can't conceal his identity any longer. And he sends all the Egyptian attendants away out of the room so he can be alone with his brothers. Now, if this were a show or a movie, you know, it's this moment that we, the readers, we've witnessed the, this entire saga of Yosef and his brothers until this point. Now, we expect Yosef is going to reveal his identity and unleash this rage on his brothers, the pent-up frustrations and anger of all these years spent exiled from his family and his homeland due to his brother's vengeful act against him as a youth. This is his time for revenge. We're almost rooting for it in some way. We almost want Yosef to like reveal himself and shame his brothers for their actions and point out their hypocrisy that they're now displaying in this attempt to protect Benjamin. And suddenly, there's care and respect for their father's feelings and his potential pain. Where was that care and compassion years ago when Yosef's life hung in the balance? Yosef would have every right in this moment to deliver a scathing rebuke of his brothers. And yet, Yosef chooses a different path. If we look at Perak Memhe Pasuk Dalad, Yosef turns to his brothers and says, Vayomer Yosef Elachav, Vayigashu. He says, come, come forward to me. And, and they came. And he says, I am Yosef, your brother, who you sold to Mitzrayim. Now don't be distressed or upset at yourselves right now because you sold me. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Because there's already been two years of this famine and there's still five remaining. And God sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the world and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And God has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Now when we read this passage, Necham Malevich, in her commentary, focuses her attention on the two verbs that Yosef specifically uses in the speech. In the, first part of the, in the first part of his identification, he says, I am Yosef, who you sold, machar temoti, you sold me to Egypt. And it's important at this point that he does indeed point out their responsibility for their actions that they did to him. But then he quickly shifts gears and suddenly he uses the language of shalach, God sent me to save lives, 
to suggest that in fact it was God who had put this plan into motion and sent Yosef to Egypt in order to carry out a divine mission. What divine mission was that? Number one, to ensure the survival of the brothers when they would eventually come begging for food in Egypt. And two, the larger kind of grander scheme of, of all of Sefer Shemot, which is Yitziat Mitzrayim, setting up the great deliverance of Bnei Israel out of Egypt. Yosef seems to be saying to them, ultimately, it wasn't you guys who sent me here, dear brothers. Rather, it was part of God's plan. Now, Yosef, if he were any of us, he has every right in the world to be angry and bitter toward these brothers. And he'd even be justified in rebuking them and punishing them in some way. But instead, he chooses this different approach. Former Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs recently passed away. He points out this moment and sees Yosef employing this technique we were discussing earlier of reframing. As Rabbi Sachs writes, Just as a painting can look different when placed in a different frame, so can a life. The facts don't change, but the way we perceive them does. Though we cannot always change the circumstances in which we find ourselves, we can change the way we see them. And this itself changes the way we feel. It's this exact mental shift that allowed Yosef to live this life in Egypt without the heavy burden of anger and this deep sense of injustice that would have festered and grown over 22 years while he was separated from his family, while he endured slavery and servitude, prison, embarrassment, and exile. Yosef could have ended up a really deeply bitter person angry, ready to immediately refuse his brothers when they come begging. But instead, Yosef chooses to see the events of his life through a different lens, through a different perspective. And by viewing these experiences through this new frame, it gives him the perspective to see the hand of God in all this, in every step of the journey along the way. As all of you probably know, this is not an easy thing to do. And in fact, to an outsider, to many of us, it may seem nearly impossible. How could Yosef really, really like not harbor any grudge toward his brothers? How could he not be feeling angry and bitter about everything? Is this just an act? Is this just for show? And in fact, we see this when the brothers themselves, years later, after the death of Yaakov, in Perak Nun, Pasuk Tetvav, the brothers suddenly are very fearful that Yosef, suddenly unrestrained by the respect for his father that had been holding him back, maybe now he's finally going to unleash his wrath upon them. They fear that now he'll finally take his revenge, and so they beg him in the name of their dead father to forgive them once again. They say to him, Lu yistimenu Yosef ha'shev yashiv lanu et kol shergamalnu oto. When Yosef's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Yosef still bears a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did him? So they send a message to Yosef, and they describe to him the, the message that their father left before he died, saying, Please forgive them. Please forgive the brothers for the way they treated you. Now Yosef looks at them, and Yosef's kind of shocked. But the brothers, from their perspective, they suspected that Yosef's reframing was superficial. 
He was merely restraining himself out of respect for his father. But that once Yaakov had died, Yosef's true feelings would burst forth. Yosef, though, says to them, Vatem chashavtem alai ra'ah. Yes, you did intend me harm. But Elohim chashava letova leman asa kayom hazeh lachayot amrav. But God intended it for good, so as to bring about this present result, the survival of many people. And so fear not, I will sustain you and your children. Thus he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Yosef seems to be saying to them, guys, I wasn't lying. I'm telling the truth. I promise this is how I feel. I don't blame you. God had a larger plan for me. And we're immediately reminded of those early dreams of Yosef when he talked about this grand uh, uh, mission for himself and the way that, that eventually things would turn around for him. He, he, he sees this larger plan for himself and the God's hand is in every step of the way. And it's this reframing that I think allowed Yosef to experience his life in Egypt in a totally new way. And to come to his brothers when they finally came to him to reveal himself and say, hey, I'm ready to, to start over with you guys. You actually, yes, you, you, you know what you did, but ultimately God had a larger purpose here. And that's the reason we're here today, to ensure the eventual Yitziat Mitzrayim, to ensure the eventual delivery of our people out of Mitzrayim one day in the future. Now granted, most of us are not going to experience an injustice of the same level of magnitude as Yosef and what he experienced at the hand of his brothers. I'm not going to equate my experience in the old city last week with Yosef's years of exile and servitude. With that said, however, I do believe that this technique of reframing has a place in our daily lives. This year alone, I mean, the pandemic has brought about all kinds of tragedy and suffering, all kinds of changes to our plans and new challenges in our lives. And yet, even with that, despite these challenges, there have been some bright spots as well. During these challenging months, many of us have embraced you know, new hobbies, new skills, any bread bakers out there, reconnected with family and friends over FaceTime and Zoom, and learned to appreciate the outdoor world anew. Here at Pardes, this year has accelerated and expanded our online learning opportunities and brought about all kinds of brand new programs and ideas. Our Pardes summer program had our largest audience ever with people joining from all over the world, and we now have weekly classes that are watched by hundreds of people. Our students in person here in Jerusalem have found new ways to support each other and form communal bonds both in person and online. Yes. There will always be forces and events that are outside of our control, and we may feel frustrated or even angry about the way they're playing out, but we still have the freedom to choose how to view these situations and what to focus on. If we stop and take a moment to breathe and remember Yosef and the way he was able to reframe even the most dire sequence of events, if we try to see the larger picture, shift our perspective and see things in a new light, we may just be able to replace those emotions with a new sense of appreciation, patience, and even joy that will help sustain us through even the most challenging moments in our lives. I hope you have a wonderful week, and thanks for listening. Shavua Tov. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. 
If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. You can also subscribe to any of our other podcast channels by visiting us on Spotify or online at elmod.pardes.org. Tune in next week to listen to Rav Mike Foyer as he discusses Parashat Vayechi. Thanks for listening.